Hi, I'm Terry Zabolski, pastor of Grace Community Church in Mechanicsburg, Pennsylvania. I'd like to thank you for listening to this week's message. I hope and trust that God's Word is a blessing to you as you live for Him each and every day. Take your Bible and look at uh, Luke's Gospel, and we're looking at uh, chapter 1, uh, verses uh, 39 through 59, and I have entitled it, A Joyful Song of Praise. This is really just a simple message. I like simple messages because uh, I can understand them. I don't know if you're like me or not. It gets a little, little complicated and I'm lost, Right? But uh, I like the simple ones. And it's a simple message. It's a, as indicated in the title, it's going to deal with the theme of joy and rejoicing. It's going to deal with the theme of music and song. Uh, And these are things only that God produces in the heart and the life of a Christian. Do you know that? Uh, It is only what God does. It is a fruit of the Spirit, this thing called joy. And the, com- and the call to rejoice in the Lord. And again, I say rejoice. Or we're to sing and make melody in our heart to the Lord. I'm reminded, these are not uh, manufactured by you or me. You don't go have a pep talk in front of the mirror. I once took a business class where in sales, they told you, stand before a mirror and give yourself a pep talk. You know, you, you deal with the no and the negative uh, response so much. No, get out of here. I don't want any. They hang up on you. You got to give yourself a pep talk and pick yourself up. Well, this is not that. Thank the Lord. This is what God does in our life. Uh, even when it's stormy, like we've, we've been watching in the recent days and know that's going to end one of these days. But there are stormy times in life. God still can give a song. He's still can give joy, even though circumstances are are greatly adverse. And I thank the Lord for that. You know, it's one of the marks of a Christian, and it ought to be a mark of your life, the joy of the Lord. And may the joy of the Lord be your strength. So it's a simple message from a simple narrative, and that's where we're going here this morning. Well, music and the introduction is certainly one of the great gifts that God gives to us, isn't it? Don't you love music? How bland our life would be without song, without beautiful orchestration or big band music or gospel music played with a band and an upbeat song or some of the high hymns, the great variety of of music that we have. Somebody has said of all the instruments that... uh, that we are aware of the greatest instrument of all is what God has made, and that's the human voice when one sings unto the Lord. You say, well, that's not my voice. But you know what? Someday it just needs a tuning, and uh, you're going to sing praise to the Lord if you know the Lord better than ever, and you'll magnify his name in music and song. Music is a great gift. It's a great gift. Never... Never uh, 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 downgrade, it's the wonder of it. It's often called the language of the soul. For music can express our deepest feelings and thoughts far better than words. Words um, are so limited. Have you ever noticed that? They are. They are. You want to tell God how much you love Him and all that, and you realize how stiff they are. They're not elastic enough to be able to express the fullness of your love for the Lord. On a human plane, a man loves his woman, right? Loves his wife, his girlfriend. And, it's, and he'll write poetry or maybe sing a song you know, to her and serenade her under the balcony. We sometimes laugh at that, you know? But uh, trying to express what Simply, words without a song can never seem to express the depth of it and the deepness of it, but a song can. God has given us the capacity for music. He's given us the ability to appreciate music. Some of you appreciate it more than others, but um, 
it, it, it's a wonderful, wonderful gift. And I've often told you that we bear a likeness to God because God sings. You know, someday when you get to heaven, you're going to hear God singing. Won't that be something? To hear the Lord Jesus sing? Zephaniah 3, the Lord our God sings. And I'm of the persuasion, though some wonder if the angels sang at that nativity, uh, the text actually says, and they said, and so it's interpreted, said, well, if they all said it, they must have sung it. And so that's an interpretation. But I almost think that God gave that to man, where we bear that ma- mankind, men and women, where we bear that likeness to God, that Imago Dei, that we sing as God sang. What an interesting song, you know? Your dog doesn't sing. He may howl on a moonlit night. And I've had tons of cats growing up and otherwise. They purr away, and we say that purring. And the birds, we say they sing, but they really don't sing. They chirp, and it sounds sort of melodious, but they just do what God programmed them to do. But you and I, beyond the written text and beyond mere words, can put a melody to it. And it opens up our heart, and we can sing to God. And that's what God does in the heart of a man or woman who loves the Lord. Sing and make melody in your heart to the Lord. What a a great thing it is. There are times when saying it is not enough. It doesn't do justice to what is in your heart nor mine. It doesn't express the depth of it. Well, music, another gift. Let's talk about another that God gives his children is the gift of joy. Joy. I got the joy, 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 joy down in my heart, right? We teach our kids that. That's the joy that only comes from knowing Jesus and living for him. Joy. Even when there's a bad report from the doctor. Joy. When there's there's a bad report or bad stuff that happens when we walk in faith and, and we walk not by sight but by faith. We trust God like Mary. Mary trusted God's word. She didn't see it. She didn't know how it would be done. She wondered did she need to participate somehow. How can this be saying I am a Parthenos, I'm a virgin, she said. And the angel told her, with God, all things are possible. And she believed it, and she trusted, and she walked by faith. And there was joy in her life, even though she, there was going to be a price she would pay. There would be sorrow. Would she lose her man? Would she lose her reputation? Would she suffer? And she would with this one who would be born of her and be rejected by the world and crucified, the sorrow and the suffering, and yet abiding joy the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, joy that God gives. One of the wonderful things. You know, you can meet a Christian as someone you've not known at all. You can be far away. I've had, with faith and I, I've had this experience uh, where you meet somebody that knows the Lord and there's an instant connection there. If they know and love the Lord, there's a joy, there's a radiance, there's a beauty, and uh, it uh, is only that which God does. God gives a song, He gives us a real song, but more than that, he provides joy for us. Now, there's a lot of sadness in the world. Living life in a fallen world, sickness, disappointment, and death. A lot of reasons why to be down, be under it, right? But not for a Christian. We're overcomers. I love my friend Alex, who always wrote at the end of his letters, we're on the victor's side. And that's right. Actually, the word victor, there comes uh, in Romans 8, we're on the, 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 uh, the Nike. It's a, it's, a, it's a great word for a running shoe, right? Nike, 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 victor, victor, victor. So we're on the Nike side. Unless you wear Reeboks, then, right? <laughs> you're, on the, you're on the other side, right? So joy, even, even though... Hard times may blow. God's hand, he's in charge of it. He knows what he's doing. And so joy. It's far more than mere happiness. It's happiness, but be way beyond. Happiness is bent on circumstances. Frank Sinatra, everything's going my way, so I'm happy, happy, happy. Well, wait a few minutes, please. (laughs) Just wait. Turn the corner. And the west wind will blow and blow your hat off and everything else, right? 
Happiness is gone. That's the world's cheap substitute. But blessedness and joy are things that abide because God produces that. But joy is produced in our lives by the Holy Spirit when we walk with the Lord in obedience to his word. That's that Ephesians 5. We saw that. Joy and rejoicing are our responses to God for who he is and for what he has done for us. We respond with joy, gratitude, thanksgiving, and praise. Well, there was a, there was a very joyful day when Mary visited Elizabeth. Theologians call it the visitation, right? You would have figured that. It's one of the great songs of all times uh, has, was wonderfully sung and by God's Spirit recorded for us. And we're going to glance at it ever so briefly today. It was uh, it's one of the top ten tunes, right? You ever listen to that when you're a kid, the top ten tunes of the week or the top 50 or... Or uh, what was his name, American Bandstand? Dick Clark. Dick Clark, yeah, that's right, I knew that. <laughs> the top 10, the top 50, the top 100. I believe this is one of the top 10 of heaven here when, uh, when Mary sings this wonderful song of praise and joy and gratitude and worship uh, to, the, to the Lord. It was a joyful song of praise to the Lord. Joy was everywhere. It was just full to overflowing in this whole passage we're going to look at. And I'm reminded wherever Jesus is seen as, as Lord and Savior, joy is always produced. I remember as a young boy in a faraway city, heard the gospel and was wonderfully saved. And, and that boy was me. And I remember leaving that, it happened to be a church after worship. My family was out in the car waiting in the parking lot. And I came out, and I felt clean all over. What a wonderful thing to have your sins gone, gone. All my sins are gone. We love singing that, don't we? And that's the truth of what the Bible teaches. But more than that, even for a young boy, I felt good. More than that, I felt joy to the inmost of my beings when, when the day I was wonderfully saved. Praise God for that. Whenever we meet Jesus and recognize that he is our Lord and our Savior, that he is the Savior, joy is not far behind. The Spirit of God produces that. Isn't that great? You know, if you, have, if you, if you walk with the Lord, you're going to have a different life. There's going to be joy if you're sitting at the desk in your office or you're in the field or you're in the shop or the store or at school, right? There'll be a joy there that God will produce Believe me, the world, those around you that don't know Christ will look at you and wonder what you're mumbling about, what you're singing about, what you're joyful about. It's a beautiful thing, actually. It really is. And in part, it's a partial reverse of the curse. We still live under death until it's finally defeated, and it will be, right? And all that goes with that, and the residue of sin. But in that and through that, God's children shine like lights. And what that really means is there's a joy and, and, and a radiance that God does in your life and mine. Well, in our account, there are three spontaneous outbursts of this exultant joy modeling what ought to be in our life as believers. I mean, it's a, it's a joyful bubbling over this account. And, and, and it seems to be spontaneous in the outburst, this exultant joy uh, really points out this is what God wants in you and you and you and you and me as we live for him all the days of our life. Only Jesus produces this joy. Know that the world, the world, the world is incapable. It's not that next toy you buy gives you a momentary hit or high and then you come down. It's not the momentary experience we love different experiences are good in life if they're, if they're wholesome and good, and we look forward to that, anticipate that, and have the memory after. But it comes down. It's only the Lord Jesus that gives joy that abides, that abiding joy produced in you and me by His Spirit. No, you can't buy it. Keep your wallets in your pocket. Don't get your checkbooks out or your cards you can't buy it. Only Jesus produces it. 
and it's great. Well, it's simple. Let's look at our text. Verse 39, we're going to see here that John the Baptist, even in utero, uh, expresses a joy. And then Elizabeth, the older, much older cousin of Mary, uh, bursts out in loud joy in the presence of this unborn Savior. And then Mary's Magnificat expresses great joy in her song from this young girl that's absolutely amazing. The lyrics that she wrote, and it gives us indication of a number of things. Look at uh, Luke's Gospel, chapter 1, verse 39, and following in. At that time, at the time of uh, the visitation uh, that Mary had from Gabriel, um, or soon after, from the verse before, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in a hill country of Judea where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth, her, her older cousin. And when Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and now in a loud voice she exclaims, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? And as soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that what the Lord has said to her will be accomplished. And then Mary, verse 46, And Mary said, we believe it was a song. It's written poetically. My soul magnifies or glorifies the Lord. And my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on all generations will call me blessed. For the Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him. From generation to generation, he has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but he has sent the rich away empty. He has helped a servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever. Even as he said to our fathers, and then it ends, Mary stayed with Elizabeth for about three months, apparently at the time that John was born. And then she returned, the text says, to her home, as yet she was still living with her family. Well, there are three spontaneous outbursts of joy in the simple message that remind us that God produces joy and God produces music and song. Well, the first is the unborn John, John the baptizer praises the Lord Jesus with a joyful kick. How about that? He's not even Irish, and he's doing a jig. In utero, how about that? Well, Mary makes the journey in haste to Elizabeth's home to see the sign that was told to her by the angel Gabriel. Remember, she didn't ask for a sign. Zach, uh, Zacharias, her, her, uh, her cousin by marriage, did. He didn't believe. Uh, in this book. She didn't, but God gave her the sign, the sign that Elizabeth would be pregnant. And as soon as she heard it and, and was finished hearing Gabriel, uh, she made the trek to that little town in the hill country outside of Jerusalem somewhere. We have no idea where it was, but the approximate distance was 80 miles. Now, that was uh, nothing for us to jump in the car and go 80 miles. But in that day, when you walked it, they didn't have skateboards to go along the Jordan Rivers. No roller skates, no helicopters, no planes, no terminals, none of that, no Greyhound bus. No, she, you know, she walked it. And it was a three- to four-day journey, the best that we can figure. And it was very unusual for a young woman, a young maiden uh, like Mary, to make uh, the journey. Uh, uh, and it, it says nothing about anyone who went with her. We would... We would hope someone went with her to, to be a guardian because it would be very dangerous uh, as there would be all sorts of, uh, uh, of wicked men 
hiding in the shadows and uh, highway robbers and all the rest that would take place. But regardless, she makes the trek to go down. I've got to see the sign that God has promised me. Well, Mary evidently, and B, had conceived by this point. I think it's fair to assume that because the time she gets down to her cousin Elizabeth's home, she's already pregnant. And that's uh, what causes such a response uh, at that house. And yet I, I would believe she probably has not told a single soul what has happened. Again, we're not told. So she's anxious to visit her cousin to confirm the Lord's sign to her. And as she enters the home, and the homes are in that culture in that day, very different than ours. We might give a, after being away, a greeting and so on, have a cup of coffee. In the ancient Near Eastern day, a greeting can go on for hours and hours and hours as they would recount stories from beginning to end and this and that. Think about it. Now, we're so spoiled with internet and cell phones, and we're sort of all talked up. We're glad David and Mandy have come to visit us for the weekend and a lot of joy, and, and we certainly enjoyed talking uh, uh, and, and shared that until they leave tomorrow. But imagine, imagine how much more we would have to talk about if we didn't have any communication, that cell phones daily almost and all the rest. Well, Mary hadn't seen her cousin Elizabeth in, in, we would suppose, a long period of time. There were not the daily communiques and all of that, and they would share. And, and not only that, they had much to share about what God's visitation to both of these ladies, two pregnant ladies, gathering together the setting, the went to two women touched by God, a senior citizen, six months pregnant, how about that? And a young teen, just pregnant, had much to share. I remember when, when Faithy was expecting our first and uh, you go to those classes, right? And you meet other ladies or they're going to give birth around the same time. And don't you love guys? The last class, you're laying on the floor with a pillow and doing all that stuff, learning how to coach them, which uh, does, uh, I, don't, I don't think that did any good, did it? Uh, get out of here. It's your fault. You know, all this stuff. I don't know. And worse. I won't, not faithy, but, you know, I hear others, right? So you make fast friends, and then pretty soon, the, I can't remember her name, but she was at the house. She was pregnant that, from that class. Huh? Desiree. Desiree, yeah. Two pregnant, I came home, two pregnant ladies in my house just talking forever about the coming baby and the coming expectation and the joy of that. In my mind's eye, I thought of Faith and Desiree when I'm trying to envision, here's Mary, now pregnant, comes into Elizabeth, you know, past anything possibility of being pregnant. God opened her womb, allowed her, and they're talking away. Look at what God has done and sharing. You can almost feel the joy and the excitement and the utter amazement because of the miraculous sense of, of this, uh, this, uh, this occasion, and uh, particularly Mary's life being a virgin and conceiving, and in Elizabeth, an old dead womb now open. Wow. The joy of that. Uh, wow. And so she enters, they trade stories, all that God has done in this visitation, and suddenly, suddenly, uh, her unborn son, John, who would be John the Baptist, this Nazarite from the womb, this forerunner of Jesus, the announcer, uh, he's kicking for joy, doing a tap dance uh, in, uh, as I said, in utero. Why? Because nothing, nothing is impossible for God, nothing. So many things are beyond us, right? But nothing is impossible for God. Well, Elizabeth, in verse 41, the text tells us, Dr. Luke says she's filled with the Holy Spirit. In the Old Testament time, the filling was different. The the Spirit of God came upon men and women to enable them to do certain tasks. Uh, The building of the tabernacle, we, we discover that the men that did that and the craftsmanship and that, that they were inspired and filled with the Holy Spirit to be able to do that. And we find that in David and some. There's a, there's a filling, and it seems to come and, uh, come and go in the, in the dwelling of the Spirit of God in the hearts of the Old Testament saints. Well, here Elizabeth is under the control of the Spirit of God, and, and she interprets the kick. Now, don't ask me how she could do that. How did that kick? How was that different from normal baby kicking 
Uh, I can't imagine. But by the Spirit of God, she pronounces that uh, it was because of joy that John kicked when he heard the, 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 uh, the, the vo- Mary's voice upon the greeting at the door uh, of her home. Wow. Amazing. And John, John will be the forerunner, the announcer of Jesus. And one man writes, he begins his work now in the womb. He confesses the coming of Christ with movements of joy. Wow. Wow. How wonderful. Well, how wonderful it is to, <clears throat> to feel the, the kicking of a newborn baby, right? Or an unborn baby. I, mean, I remember that. And, and, and what a particular, I said that last week, the particular joy that a woman has if God should allow her to, to mother a child. And to what a, what a precious privilege that is to give life. I mean, it seems to pale. I'll say it one more time: pale by significance. All that a that a man may do, and as much as we love our workmen and, and give ourselves to it, and take pride in our work, and we should and do and do it for the glory of God, whether it's uh, automotive or painting or plumbing or sitting at a desk or doing sales or brain surgery or preaching sermons, or whatever it is, the whole gamut, teaching, right? Planting corn, whatever. And needful things, good things, and they are. Uh, how, how wonderful the role that God has ordained for women, that they should give forth a life. And then the Jewish way of thinking, a life was like a, a, a whole galaxy. Because if the Lord would tarry for years and years, think of all normally the, the other life that would sprout from that single life. The joy of that. So no wonder when Faith would say, look, feel the baby's kicking. And you go like, oh, wow, kicking in that knee. Kicking for joy, exuberant joy. And Luke records it for us on this joyful occasion. Well, if we can trust John MacArthur's writings and his take, the baby's, the baby's leap for joy here uh, provided the fulfillment of the promised confirmation that Gabriel told Mary. Go, go, see this, and you'll see that what I'm saying is true. Well, there's a second. Not only the unborn John gets into the action, but Elizabeth joyfully blesses the Lord with her words in verses 42 to 45. And she, the text says in, in 42, in a loud voice, she shouts, you know, there's sometimes when the speaking in, in a mild manner just don't fit. Have you noticed that? There are times where you just want to, ah, right? It just it doesn't fit. I mean, the exuberance and the joy, right? We have birthday parties with our kids. We always acted so silly, and, and uh, especially when they're younger, you know. You act so silly and all that. It's part of the joy of a family. Even dignified men, Right? Get on the floor, and they're the horsey for horsey back rides. And, and all of that, that's the fun. Don't take yourself so seriously. Sometimes we do that. You know, have fun and enjoy life. That's the fullness of it. Have, and it's usually with loudness, right? They have to say, calm down, calm down here. I mean, when the bills score, I went, ha That's happened twice this year, you know? <laughs> See, you've been watching them too, right? <laughs> and sometimes Jonathan's in Milwaukee and we're on the phone and I'm shouting and my voice is heard in Milwaukee. It goes on my cell phone all the way to Milwaukee when those couple times it's happened this year, right? It doesn't do like, oh, that's so good. They scored, you know? <laughs> you don't do that, right? Yeah, you go like, wow. Well, here's my, there are times when it's, it's just, you, you got to let it out. Right? Just let it fly. You know, the worship of God should be like that. That's what really Elizabeth is doing and Mary's doing. It's a joyful exuberance. And we ought to come that way with ruddy hearts, rusted bodies, prepared to worship. That God has made us and saved us. And we ought to blow the dust off our hearts and sing with exuberance. And sing loudly. Do you know God loves it loud? He does. Read the Psalms. Make a joyful, make it loud unto the Lord. You know, so when you're listening to good music in your room, your teens, right, don't go and tell them to turn it down. 
Come on, let's be godly here, turn it down. No, no, God loves it loud. Not that it, you lose your marbles, right? And raise the rafters and all that. But that exuberance, God made us to enjoy that. And here she is. Here's Elizabeth at this joyful setting. The baby's kicking. And, 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 and she's not just, oh, blessed are you, Mary. No, no, no. Yeah, she's like, she's like this. All right. Some of you better light a fire under your pants, you know? If it fits, then wear it, okay? All right. She joyfully blesses the Lord. What? Mary is commended for her faith in the Lord's word. This is what, what she's doing. She took God at her word. Look at verse 45. Uh, let's just re- read it. Blessed is he who has believed what the Lord has said uh, to her will be accomplished. Mary believed it. Remember, she was commended for her faith. And Elizabeth is shouting this with exuberance. And unlike Zechariah, her husband, in the temple, who didn't believe, Mary, the young woman, the young virgin, did. I, I often wonder, was Zechariah around the corner sort of listening in? Do you do that? You know, sometimes you get guests to the house, and maybe they weren't there primarily to see you. But you're sort of doing what you're doing. You're sort of, you know, like... I wonder what they're talking about out there. And, and, may, and maybe here's, and of course she's loud. So she's, you know, Zachariah, maybe he felt convicted again in his heart. Here he is speechless. God said, you're shutting up until it happens, right? Muzzle him. And he, oh, no, that's right. I didn't trust God. Mm-mm-mm-mm. But Mary, but Mary, Mary did. I like to think about that in my sanctified imagination. She's honored, and B, Mary's honored for the very special role, and what a role it was to give birth to the Lord Jesus. Now, let me say clearly, Mary is not commended to be the mother of God, all right? Sometimes you will hear that. I said something about it last week. Actually, more accurate in the way you and I ought to speak about Mary is that she is the mother of the Lord Jesus. Now, it's, it's a little tricky for us in, because the Lord Jesus is one of a kind, okay? You have the second person of the Godhead who has always been the Lord, the Lord. Now, he adds to himself a human body and a human nature. And all his humanity came from Mary. It was the beginning of uh, the human body and life of Jesus, the one who had always been God, verily God of verily God, verily man of verily man. And so I, I think it's, we have to be careful. Don't use the term mother of God. It gives the idea that Mary gave generation or gave, gave, brought into being God when you say mother of God. But she, and so that's not right, is it? Because God's always been. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But he, she was the mother of that human part of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so more accurately when we say she is the mother of the Lord Jesus, and what a special role that was. It reminds us, you know, like in a puzzle piece, and God has it all laid out already, that God has a specific role for you and you and you and you and you and, you and me to play. And it's a piece in his puzzle that only you can do. Only Mary could do this. Only God has you to do what he wants you to do. And for you to be faithful and to strive to do it, to know the will of God and to do it. That's what Mary's doing. She, she illustrates for us a great model of faith and obedience and humility. And that should be us, should it not? It should be. And I don't know what it, role that God wants you to play. I know he doesn't want you to do Mary's role. He doesn't want me to do Paul's role or John's role or John the Baptist. Or he wants you to do what he has designed you, equipped you, and given you opportunity to do and what he's put in your heart. So do it and be faithful. Say, well, I wish I could do Mary's part. No, you don't. God wants you to do your part, and it's unique and special and God will review that and commend that and give reward for that in the days to come. He will. Wow. She is something. Now let me say one more thing about Mary. 
We need to honor her, and, and Elizabeth does honor her. What a special role. She's the, she's the seed of the woman. She's the woman of Genesis 3. She's the one that Jewish girls were looking for and maybe wondered, would I be that one? All those generations. And then in the fullness of time, according to God's promise, it happened. It actually happened. Time, space, there in, in Nazareth, the conception of the, of the Lord Jesus in her womb. Now Mary plays no role in, re, in the redemption of sinners. No role. And in fact, you can read in, the, in Acts, she only appears one more time in Acts after the resurrection. She lived for a long time. We believe Dr. Luke knew her. She lived with uh, John, remember at the cross? John, uh, Jesus from the cross, gave his mother to John. And, and church history supports that. She went home with John, and John took care of her. We believe she lived a long, long time. But she fades. She is not deified. She had a very special role. Of course, she needed to be saved. In fact, let me continue with that. She plays no role in the redemption of sinners and does not intercede for them. All right, she doesn't pray for people. Some of our dear loved ones uh, get that confused. The Bible never teaches that, nor does she hear the prayers. That's something only God does. We're to pray, Jesus said, our Father who art in heaven. He would have told us, pray to his mother Mary, but he never. So let's think rightly about that. And, and this is the way we all ought to always exalt her, as she is a model of faith, a model of humility, and a model of submission to God and to his word to his will. Herein lies her greatness, and it's true greatness, and we ought to remember that. All right? That's Mary. And Elizabeth is not worshiping Mary. She's blessing her for her privileged role. She's the most honored of all women by her role, and indeed we acknowledge that with wonder and awe. And, and then Elizabeth blesses her fruit. Blessed are you. Among women, verse 42, and blessed is the child you will bear. Why? Because he would be the Savior of the world. Well, see, and finally, under Elizabeth, the most important thing Elizabeth said was not about Mary, but was really about Jesus. He is, in verse 43, she calls him my Lord. Do you see that in verse 43? She is called uh, uh, my, my Lord, that the mother of my Lord should come to me. Can we say this? That she's the very first one in all the Bible to confess her faith in Jesus as the Lord. You won't find one, any, anyone in the chronology of your Bible before Elizabeth. She confesses that Jesus is Lord and in fact her Lord. How was she able to do this? By God's Spirit being under the control. She was able to look past this unborn one, Jesus, in utero, his humanity, and she saw his deity. And that's how she was able to do that. And of course, Elizabeth is deeply humbled for this visit. She realized that this, this promised one should come to her humble abode. I believe it was a humble abode out in the outskirts in Judea, the, the, the hill country. We don't even know where it was. Talk about be, uh, living and serving and being in nowhere land. That's where she and her hubby were for many years. And that the Lord should, the unborn babe, should come into her home for a visit. And she's deeply humbled. She's not manufacturing this. She really is humbled in heart that Christ the Lord in the womb of his mother should visit her. That's what she says in verse 43, that the mother of my Lord should visit, visit me. Well, sometimes we just have to shout loudly, right? You just got to open up and let it fly. And the joy and the exuberance of this occasion, the unborn John is kicking for joy. His mother, she breaks into loud praise. Wow. Giving uh, exaltation and praise, blessing this woman, but especially the unborn coming Savior. 
But it doesn't end then, because then Dr. Luke uh, closes with the last uh, spontaneous outburst of this exuberant joy, and that is in, in Mary. In verses 46 through 55, uh, it is called by theologians the Magnificant. That's the Latin word, and it comes from, it's the, the uh, in a lot of the translations, uh, I think King James, uh, uh, is it magnify? Is that the first word? Okay, and magnify in the original, uh, that word in the Greek is the first one in the song, and so very common, the theologians, and in the Latin, the word magnify is, is uh, magnificent, uh, and so it's called the magnificent, magnify, or to enlarge. And that's what's going on here. Mary rejoices now in singing a song of thanksgiving. It's like Mary couldn't contain herself anymore. And she, the floodgates open and she bursts out. Now remember, the, the, the angel visitor in her hometown, I think it's safe to assume she has not told anybody yet about this, about the pregnancy she was aching to get down to talk to Elizabeth to, to see the sign of confirmation, you know, and she just had to tell somebody. Did you just have to tell somebody? Well, that's, and, and it, just, it just floods. Now, we're not sure whether on the journey down she wrote this, and it's written in poetic structure, uh, lyrics here of this song, or whether it was just spontaneous at the moment, we can't tell. There seems to be so much there that most uh, good writers will say, well, she must have given thought to this as her heart was aflame, uh, as she was just exulting in God in the days uh, making the journey down, that uh, I could see where that would sort of make sense. But in any event, the floodgates open, and she just is filled with joy and rejoices in the song of gratitude. It is true worship. It really is. And this true worship is what ought to be in our life. It's a song about God and about what He's done. You know, we can give thanks to God um, in focus. It can still be quite self-centered in its focus, you know. You know that? We pray and pray for something, and you should do that, and you ought to have a prayer list. We all have multitude of needs, and we can pray and pray and pray, and, and God in His good pleasure can bring that about. And we ought to respond with thanksgiving then, right? Uh, unexpressed gratitude is really ingratitude, so we need to say thank We know what that is with our kids. Give them something, say thank you, you know. You don't say thank you, you're, you're shaking them, right? And we ought to do that. Well, when we give thanks back to God, then if we focus only on what God has done for me, what he's done for us, it still has a way of being self-focused. We have to even go, there's a place for that, but then we have to go beyond that and marvel at the glory of God and all that he is in all that he has done. And that's what Mary does. She, she expresses in this worship this joyful exuberant, the Magnificat. She gives praise to God for what he's done for her, but that she doesn't stop there. She, in the latter verses, blows right by it, and it's like a walk through the Scriptures as she sees the God behind it all and exalts and praises him for all that he is and what he has done in her life, in the life of others, and in the life of of the nation Israel, for he is the covenantal faithful one. And so that ought to be the same in our life when God answers prayer. Well, she's in true celebration, and that's what worship is. Well, A, Mary praises the Lord in song for what he's done for her. And, and look at it, you'll see it here. And Mary said, my soul glorifies or magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. Mary needed a Savior, too. We pointed that out last week, verse 47. She was not without sin. She needed a Savior and was wonderfully saved. My Savior, her own words. For he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant, meaning her. And from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is his name. Now she's going to go out beyond that and look at what God has done to others and the things. 
uh, that God is. His mercy, there it is. He's the mighty one. His mercy extends to those who fear him. Verse 51, he has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He's powerful and almighty, and he lifts up the humble, etc. Well, Mary praises the Lord in song for what he's done. Her heart overflows, and she sings. When merely saying it could never be enough. It would never be enough just to say it. And so she breaks out in poetry. It causes us to slow down, to look at it, and to marvel and to rejoice. And I believe she sings. Mary worshiped God in song with all that she was and everything she had, praising him in mind, in soul, in heart, in strength. And that's the way we need to praise and worship in our private time. It should never be milk toast or ho-hum or half asleep. It ought to be vibrant with celebration, with thought, the depths of our heart, not routine and dead-like, but in our strength. God loves us when we do that. God hates ritual. Read the Old Testament. They thought they were, they were pleasing God, just continually bringing bulls and goats and sheep for the sacrifice. And they went out and lived like the devil. And God said, I hate it. Stop. Stop. You think I, I need blood? You think I need flesh to eat? You think I need bulls? I hate your worship. Stop the music, he even says. God hates the ritual. God loves heart. Heart. That's, I think, one of the reasons God loves children so much. Because kids have not learned to be ritualistic. They just sort of spontaneous. Have you noticed? If they love the Lord Jesus, they love the Lord. They sing out loud. They're, they're spontaneous. They tell you what they think. Art Link letter, right? Kids say the darnest things, right? Yeah, Faithy and I taught, uh, we taught the adults back in India years ago, and I said, we'll teach until we get enough adult teeth, and we're going to teach the kids. You know, we rather help form the wet cement and get them going right. Well, you can't believe what kids will tell you. Oh, 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 oh. right there? Oh, my word. We, okay, what can we pray about? Pray for Johnny. He had this, he had that, you know. And, uh, or he got sick or someone died. And, and we'd be telling the parents later, well, we're so sorry to hear about Johnny. What? What'd he say? No, there's nothing wrong with him. We'll deal with him. Pray for us, Pastor. We don't have any Bibles at home. You don't have any Bibles? No, we don't have no Bibles at home. You know, so we tell the parents, that they're, you know what? You guys need a Bible? Why do I say that? You know, your kids are saying you have no Bibles at home. You know, kids, I, we just... You know, we and you never press them. Some people do. Some people used to try and squeeze my own kids, you know, find out what's going on, and that's an evil thing, really. But just spontaneously, kids tell you, and you go like, wow. That's why the Lord said, bring the kids on. I love them. Let them sit up here. You know, let me touch them. Let me pray for them. They're wonderful. And you know, that's the way we ought to be. We ought to be like kids. We pour out our hearts to the Lord spontaneously. It must be with understanding, our worship, our praise, our singing, our celebration, but it must be from our hearts. I'll say it again, never did God's people typically more lie than when they sing. We're singing of a song in our heart, and we're singing like we're marching to the mortuary. What a, I mean, like, please, just don't sing, you know? <laughs> And be careful of the words, okay? We want you to sing. We want you to sing with exuberance. But if you can't sing it because it's not real, don't sing it. You're going to heap judgment on yourself. Now, get it right so you can really belt out next time. That's the point. You say, well, pastor said I shouldn't sing. No, I didn't say that, all right? And so number two, look at this. This is, this is Luke records for us in his gospel the first of four hymns. None of the other gospels record these. And there are four of them. So we might say, and Dr. Luke's been rightfully called the first hymnologist of the, of the Christian church and, and, and hymnology in that. Wow. Mary three, even as a young woman, knew God. Boy, you read this, her, her poetry, her song here. And her song evidences great knowledge of the scriptures. No doubt she had learned this from her parents at the synagogue, in her home, around the dinner table, 
She was raised on the scriptures. She knew the word. I mean, she knew it. Uh, and it shows our need to pour the word of God into the lives of our kids. Let's, uh, let's look at one verse to remind you in Deuteronomy chapter 6, uh, verses 4 to 7, where Moses instructs us. You can never hear this enough. Here's the great Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Now notice, impress them. Now just stop for a minute. Impress means, uh, you know, if you want the kids, go to Sunday school. It's up to you. It's really optional. No way. Is that the word impress means? Kids, uh, yeah, you know, if you don't want to listen to the Bible story here tonight from Dad, then uh, that's all right. Go out and do it. No. Impress. Take your fingerprints and press it, the word, into and on their hearts. Listen, there are other people trying to impress your kids, and it won't be for good. You better impress them with the things that are really sacred and wonderful and that will save their soul. Impress the Word of God on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home. Look, it's all-encompassing. It's 24-7. When you sit at home, when you walk along the road, that's when you're buzzing down the interstate. When you lie down, hey, that's a tender time before they go to sleep at night. Your kids, your grandkids, if you have them. And when you get up in the morning, impress them. Uh, and, and that's what we'll, you, you need to do. That's what Mary had. Here she's a young woman, and the, I don't think it's too far of a stretch. Where did she learn this scripture? I mean, this prayer is like uh, the Old Testament pressed all the way through. Riken, Dr. Riken writes this. Mary's song either quotes or alludes to verses from uh, the vast array of the Old Testament. Genesis, Deuteronomy, 1st and 2nd Samuel, Job, Psalm, Isaiah, Ezekiel, Micah, Habakkuk, and Zephaniah. Uh, it's, uh, it's like uh, Mary is trying to virtually put the whole Bible into her song. I mean, she knew the Word. And you know what? In their home, they probably didn't have a scroll. They had a scroll in the, a scroll of the Bible, and yet she knew the Word. How did she know it? Well, God had worked in her heart. It was open. She was regenerate. But mom and dad took their task seriously. I think it's important for dads and mom to help our kids with their educational, vocational training, and give direction. But how much more important is it of the heart and the issues of salvation and the teaching of the Word? And it's not enough. Well, they made a profession of faith. You better keep driving and driving and driving because every day that goes on, you will have less and less and less influence. Now, that's the way it works. Because there are other voices that tend to get louder and louder and louder. And they have a sin bent just like you do, just like I do. It's like a magnet. and You need to pray without ceasing. You need to pour the Word of God into their heart. Memorize it with them. Teach it to them. Sing them songs of the faith. It's serious business. Listen, hell is a long time. In heaven is a long time. And won't it be a joyful thing for you to be in glory if God should so allow with your children? And you, you, have, you occupy, we occupy as adults, very key positions. Remember, you have grandchildren. And you still have it, and sometimes called the second chance. Swindoll calls it that. Influence them, influence them, influence them for Jesus Christ. Well, look at how she knew knew the Lord. And really, it's echoes of of Hannah's song, if you will. Well, look at it. How did she put the whole Bible into her song? She, A, uh, she praised God for his power. God is uh, almighty. She knew it in her own, the virgin birth, the miracle. She praised God for God's holiness in verse 49. In other words, he stands altogether alone. He's in a league all his own. That's the essence of the word holy, kadosh. He's altogether different. There's none like the Lord our God. None. See, he, he, she praises God for his mercy in verse 50. Is, that's his kindness for sinners. She knew that. Indeed, she praised God as the faithful one. 
He remembered his covenant. In other words, he keeps his promises. Wow, she knew her God. She looked beyond the gift and praised the God who gave it, this gift of this unborn child. Well, B, Mary praises the Lord in song then for what he would do for Israel, in verse 50 through 55. And this is very unusual because she uses the past tense as she talks about the future. But we find that in the Bible. It's, it's a use that is, is it, it really strikes the note of, uh, of certainty. That God said it, and it's certain. And so it's spoken of in past tense. How about that? Walking by faith and not by sight. And that God will do it. And so Mary tells that the humble, and this is a theme that you'll discover here, that, that uh, the humble will be lifted up and the proud will be humbled or brought down. You see that. She was humbled. God raised her up. Uh, but uh, those that are, are prideful will be struck down. Verse 52, the humble are raised, and uh, those that are not will be dealt with. And that's a constant theme throughout the Word. I'm reminded that God does that in our life. When we're humble, God raises us up. You know, one of the greatest ways for you and I to daily exhibit humility is to get on our knees and to pray. That's very humbling. The posture shows that we're totally and utterly dependent on the Lord. Sometimes when we pray with open, outstretched arms, it shows visibly our body structure that we're totally and utterly dependent on God, and we are. We are for our next heartbeat and breath and meal and oxygen and ray from the sun and all the rest. And people and churches are the same. You know, churches can be filled with pride. You know, pride of their building, their stained glass, their long history, places where God did something in days gone by. Get ready. God humbles the pride, the proud. And he does it in nations too. It makes me worry about our country a bit. You know, we, we have such a headiness about us as a people. It's not the pilgrim sense of pride that we ought to have. It's not a matter of, of learning advanced studies at uh, top universities, you know. Uh, they may help in their place, but a far better thing is to get on our knees and cry out to God. We can't fix this. We can't. We need your help. You must do it or we're in deep trouble. I'd love to see it at the highest levels of governance all the way down to your home and to mine, the calling out of God. For God lifts up the humble and he brings down the prideful. Let that not be you. Don't have a pride of position, a pride of learning, pride of ability, pride of looks, pride of a bank account, pride of whatever. You know, it sneaks in and it's, it creeps into our lives, you know. Uh, or we do something well. Well, I did pretty good with that one, you know. <laughs> well, we ought to do whatever we do well, but we ought to be deflectors and always giving God by silence and at times by voice. Give him all the glory, for it's all of him from beginning to end. And so Mary magnifies God who alone satisfies and gives to us overwhelming joy. Joy. There's joy in Jesus. And he gives us a song. Even when we're dying, he gives a song. You know one of the most beautiful things that, that happens in the life of a saint that loves the Lord and serves the Lord is when family and sometimes friends gather and they sing around the dying one's bed. It's a beauty, it's a ministry, it's a joy. Even in the face of of the, what the world say, that's the worst thing that could happen. They're dying. They'll soon be gone. And a, and a joy that can be there in the face of that which is, is the world says, the most awful. I remember when Faithy's mom was dying of leukemia over a span of a year and a half or so, nine months. Mm -hmm. And we would visit. And uh, she couldn't get out of her bed in the latter months or so. And Jonathan would come at times, and, and he would sing, and we would sing, and, and it ministered such grace to our heart. Why, do, why could we do that? The world can't do that. That's like a freak show. But see, God gives the song. It's the song of the redeemed. It's a song of joy, even if it's mixed with sorrow and tears. 
It's a song that comes when we recognize that Jesus is Lord. That's what John did. Here he is kicking by the Spirit of God in the womb. He's announcing the forerunner, the forerunner with joy. Mom says that was a kick of joy. <laughs> How she knew. <laughs> and then she breaks out in poetry. Blessed art thou, Mary. Blessed the fruit of your womb, my Lord. And then Mary breaks out with the Magnificat. And she knew her Bible. And she praised God. And she was humble. Wow. I mean, as awful as it could be, she could have said, I'm the mother of Jesus. You know? You can't be. I am. Wouldn't that be awful? That'd be horrible. You want to throw up when you think of it. She's humble. Why would the Lord ever do that for me? That's a good indication of what he had done in her life, why she was ready. Humble. Well, lessons for our life and will be done, and we're going to sing, and then we're going to go. Number one, if you find yourself without a joyful song to the Lord, I mean, you just don't have a song in your heart, and, you, it's, and you've not had one. You need to examine your heart. The Bible says, examine your hearts. You may not be saved. And today is the day that you can be saved. Invite the Lord Jesus to be your Savior from your sin. Lord Jesus, I receive you. My Lord and my God, thank you for dying for me. And the Lord will give you a song in your heart. Just maybe, just maybe, you don't have joy. You don't have a song because you're not saved. That You can change that today. Come. Come to the cross and be saved. Number two. Number two, thank the Lord for the gift of music. And use it daily. Use it in the shower. Use it in the car when you're driving. Use it. Use it when you're at the kitchen and you're cleaning up for the 5,000th time. Mostly moms. You're like, nobody cares. All these dishes. All of this. But a sing. Sing the Lord. And, and God will give you a song and you rejoice. The gift of music to express praise and gratitude to Him. It's a great thing. Words are not enough. It's not enough. Even the shouting, is that, that helps get it out. But a song, oh, what a gift. Number three, remember, God lifts the humble. Remember that. And humility, don't tell me, well, I'm going to practice humility this week. Don't say that. You know? <laughs> All right. Here's humility. Just realize, okay, you're not much. So you don't say that, Pastor. Make me feel badly. No, you're not much, and I'm not. Let's realize that. And we're here for a real short time. It's amazing that God has called us and saved us and wants us to participate in the, His work. All right, begin at that point, okay? That's a lowly way of thinking. And then God can use you and bless you, all right? He, he lifts the humble and He humbles the pride. Live with real humility. Number four, uh, if you... If you, as a believer, live sinfully, you'll not have joy in your life. This is a reminder that if you are saved and you're wayward, you've, you've wandered off the path of where you know you ought to be, you won't have song in your heart, you won't have joy, and everything's going to be on tilt. Tilt. You ever play those vending games, you know, you put the quarters in, and we used to do that when I was a kid at the beach. And uh, when it rained, we go inside to the, those uh, venue and we plant. And sometimes my brother and I get a little excited, and we get shaking the thing, and it would go tilt. It would go tilt, and then you didn't get your money back in the game. You couldn't finish it, and you got ripped off and tilt. Well, the game didn't work. It didn't function the way it was supposed to because we did what we shouldn't have done, my brother and I. And that's what happens in the life of a believer when there's sin in your life, it's on tilt. It doesn't function the way you are made to function. And, and if you look, there's probably sin that you need to deal with and root down. Get on your knees, and, and, and the Lord knows anyway. And just come clean with it. Lord, and name it, and turn from it, and stay there until it's cleaned out. And God will give you a song. The song of the redeemed will return. So remember, number five and last, let me urge you again, pour the scriptures into your heart. Pour them in. 
Not just like a little spigot or a drip at a time. Don't do that. Pour them into your heart and into the hearts and minds of others, those around you. They need you. You can't give them what you don't have. If you have children at home, pour them into your kids. Time is of the essence. Grandkids, neighbors, friends. You have a Bible study, workmates. Life happens. God wants you to pour the word into your heart so that you have something to give. If you don't, you're not going to have anything to give. You won't. 